is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. One more time, but without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We've said that God honors those who honor him, and there's no greater honor than to trust. We've also said that we should pay very close attention to the use of the words impossible and must. These words are absolutes, which means there's no way around them. And as I was meditating on this verse, the Lord just brought me back to that one point. And he reminded me that it's one thing for a man to say something is impossible or that it is a must, okay? But it's another thing altogether for God to use the words impossible and for God to use the word must. Do you understand what I mean by that right there? Yes, no, maybe, y'all still with me tonight, praise God. In other words, you know, it's one thing for a man to say, oh man, that's impossible. Well, I mean, remember what Jesus said, just because a man says it's impossible doesn't mean it's impossible with God. But when God says something is impossible, it's impossible. If God says it's a must, it is a must. So we should obviously pay attention, you know, to, to the, the, every word in this, in this passage but the fact that God is saying something is impossible and something is a must should really um, cause our spiritual ears to perk up and to hear what he has to say. And so from this, we've concluded that you cannot please God apart from trusting him. You cannot please God apart from having confidence in him. And you cannot please God apart from believing in him. Amen. I think I've got it now, Marcos. Thank you, brother. Amen. He's back there giving me the fist bump back there because he figured it out. Thank you, sir. So faith in God pleases God, and if you do not have faith in him, nothing else you do will please him. That's important because there's a lot of things that we do that the world considers to be good and to be noble, and we think, well, surely that pleases God, but if it's done apart from faith, in other words, without faith, some other factor or motive behind it, it is not pleasing to God. But if what we do is in response to God and is an expression of our faith in Him, then those actions absolutely please God. Now, we've focused on this phrase and we'll probably be here for most of the message, if not all of the message again tonight. But the phrase in Hebrews eleven six, 6 where he says, He who comes to God. So we're seeing that without faith, apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. And so it obviously carries over that when we come to God, we must come to God in faith. Okay, we must come to God in faith. And there's different ways of just, you know, come to Him with confidence in Him, come to Him with trust in Him, come to Him believing Him, believing in Him. But how we come is important. And this is why God says that he who comes must believe, must believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Must believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now, emphasis on God is an emphasis on seek Him. And he's referring to His person. He's referring to Himself. He's referring to believing that He is this 
of course, ties directly in with what we see in the book of Exodus when uh, God appears to Moses in the burning bush and they have the conversation and God tells him he's going to use him as a deliverer for his people. And, God, and Moses says, well, when I go and tell them that you sent me, who, 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 do I, who do I tell them you are? And he said, you tell them what I am. I am. So believing that God is means more than just simply believing that God exists, but believing that God is all that God says that he is. So again, tying directly into himself, his person. We like to say and have communicated it this way, that we're seeking the face of God instead of only seeking the hand of God. A lot of people want God's hand, meaning they want His help, they want His blessing, they want His touch, they want uh, Him to somehow intervene or, or, or bring breakthrough, speaking of His, His hand representing His power, His blessing, His intervention in, in our lives. But seeking His face is a higher level and calling, which, of course, again, involves seeking His person. Now, in the course of our study, we've looked at some different individuals and groups who have come to Jesus, and we see that there are those who came correctly and received from Him, and there are those who came incorrectly and did not receive from Him. And this group in John 6, we're going to talk about them a little more tonight. We see that these people came to Jesus. Again, tying back into this statement, he who comes to God. They came to Jesus to learn from him in hopes of receiving something from him that would improve their lives. And on the surface, all that seems just fine because Jesus came to set us free. He came to bring us out of poverty. He came to break the curse and you know, make our lives more enjoyable, more meaningful, and you know, all, all the above. So if you are hearing me say something contrary to that, you're not hearing me clearly. But the issue that these folks had is they were interested in what Jesus could teach them and how His instructions could help them, but they were not interested at all in Him as a person. And so we've said it this way, they were interested in His principles, but not His person. They didn't come to seek Him or seek one who, who diligently rewards those who seek his person but instead they wanted to receive something from him that they could carry home with them that would make their lives more convenient remember these folks had eaten from the miraculous multiplication of food the day before and they came to jesus asking him to show them how to do what he did the day before And Jesus answered them in verse 26. This is John 6 and 26. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. 
Now, I don't want to try to make this sound like it's, uh, you know, some terrible, horrible, grueling, toiling uh, activity, but there is effort involved in seeking God. There is effort. Jesus, look at this verse here in a moment, but Jesus called us to himself, come to me, there's that word again, come, and he says, I'll give you rest, and then he instructs us to take his yoke, take his yoke from him, and to learn of him, because he is gentle and lowly in heart, and then he, then he emphasizes that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. There is a yoke and there is a burden, but it's an easy yoke and it is a light burden compared to all the other yokes and all the other burdens that are available to us. Jesus' yoke and burden is light and easy, but it's also very productive and beneficial. So when he tells them, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, the implication is labor for the food, put effort for the food that endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Then they said to Him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in. And if you notice, I put in parentheses there the word on, because the King James Version says, Believe on Him whom he sent. This is the work of God that you believe on him whom God whom he sent. And I, I believe that's the correct uh, preposition there. On instead of in. We'll talk about that uh, you know, in, in a little bit. Okay. So in meditating on this passage, and I, I'm going to ask you just to really stay close tonight and, and, and hear me out because as we've been shown by the Holy Spirit, what we've been doing of late here on Wednesday night, using the example of someone painting a room, it's, it's relatively fast to dip a roller in a bucket and, and paint a room, but then to finish that and to really get the, the, the full uh, view of, of the completed room, you've got to get a brush out then and kind of stick your tongue out, you know, and, and you got to do some cutting. You got to cut it in against the ceiling, against the baseboards, and and that takes a more steady hand. That takes some more patience. And I think if if we use that example, this is how the Lord was showing it to me. He said that you know it's it's real easy to just roll a bunch of stuff on the wall, then you know grab another roller and go to another room, and never really take the time to endure the sound doctrine and, and to really get the full picture. And, and so that's, that's what we're doing with this. And that, I, I've never apologized for going back to a, a same passage over and over again. But there's something that builds on what the Lord has been saying to us these last few weeks tonight that, that He really, I think, impressed upon me to share with you and, and for as many as will listen to me in the body of Christ. And so... Um, and that's a real problem that exists in the church today that we see exemplified in this John 6 account. And I'm going to call that problem a self-help 
mindset. Okay? A self-help mindset. We, we live in, I don't know about the whole world, but here in the United States of America, we, we are living in an ever-increasing self-help-minded uh, culture. And by self-help, I don't just mean do it yourself, but that, of course, is, is involved. It's not just a DIY, you know, go cut your own tree or build your own deck or pour your own driveway. I mean, that's do it yourself. But when we talk about self-help, we're, we're talking about learning what we can do to help ourselves without relying on others or outside help or you know this it's a it's become a multi-billion dollar industry in our country in 2019 let me see i've got it somewhere deeper in my notes in 2019 11.6 billion dollars no i'm sorry 2021 11.6 billion dollars were spent in the self-help industry it's one of the fastest growing industries in the U.S. And we're talking about things like books, classes, coaches, self-help programs, online seminars, apps for your phone. So that was in 2021. It's projected to increase to a $14 billion industry in this nation by 2025. So that's what, just a year and a half away. Now, this may feel a little bit like when we started talking along the lines of worldview on Sunday morning. It almost sounds like something secular. And if it sounds like something secular, it's because it is something secular. But the self-help mindset of the world has crept into the church, and it must be rooted out. And, and by the church, I mean the individual members of the body of Christ. The self-help mindset of the world has crept into the church, and it must be rooted out. And we see this in the, you know, exemplified amongst the people in John chapter 6 because they came to Jesus for self-help advice, not to believe on Him. So what's the difference? They wanted Him to tell them something that they could then leave him, go back to their houses, and do it themselves without him. That's the concept of, of, uh, of self-help. Let, let's, you know, the more of, of the definitions and the more I read about this, I, there's just a couple of times I just laughed out loud because to me it, it is so accurate as to where so many people are in their approach to uh, a relationship, and I use that word deliberately as opposed to fellowship, a relationship with God. So let's, um, let's look at some of this. What is self-help? By definition, it's the use of one's own efforts and resources to achieve things without relying on others. Self-help is the action or process of bettering oneself or overcoming one's problems without the aid of others. Now see, like, this sounds like, this, man, this is so American. This is so, you know, rugged individualism. Drag your own self up by your own bootstraps and, and just, you know, go kill something, drag it home, feed your family. And, 
and, and watch a few YouTube videos on how to do it and, 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 the, and these kinds of things. And the more anti-government that people become, right, uh, the more they are funneled into this whole industry of self-help. Self-help resources provide ways to help you solve problems, to help you solve problems, end a habit, learn a skill, or become a better person. And I didn't put that in there. That's literally by yourself. Is anybody seeing what's wrong with the concept of self-help, right? Self-help is the act of providing for or helping oneself without assistance from others. How about this one? Self-help is self-guided efforts towards self-improvement. Let me ask you a few questions. Have we mistaken Jesus for the greatest self-help coach that ever lived? I think that's the way a lot of people look at him. Have we mistaken the Bible for the greatest self-help book ever written? Have we mistaken Christianity for a self-help program? Have we mistaken pastors as one more voice in the world peddling self-help advice? Have we mistaken the church as being nothing more than a support group for those seeking self-improvement? And have we mistaken the worship of God for something we do to feel better about self, to feel better about ourselves? Let's get something nailed down tonight, okay? Jesus doesn't do self-help. He's not about it. He's not into it. He has... It's, it's completely anti the way He created us to be connected with Him, to be dependent upon Him, to put our trust in Him. And also, remember when it was just Adam and God in the Garden of Eden, God said, not Adam, God said, this is not good. It's not good for you to be alone. We were created to have relationship and fellowship with God and to have relationship and fellowship with other people. And self-help sounds so uh, almost biblical. And it's such a big thing in the world today. I'm, I'm going to go back to it now. I'm going to go back to it. Listen to me, please. I'm going to find it and I'm going to go back to it. Amen. I'm looking for it right now. Thank you, Jesus. Here we go. The self-help mindset of the world has crept into the church and it must be rooted out. When I say, have we mistaken Jesus for the greatest self-help coach that ever lived? That's, that's exactly what was going on here. It may not have been that terminology. It may not have been what was in the forefront of their mind. But these people were not interested in Jesus and in believing on Him and in submitting themselves to Him and in humbling themselves before Him. They wanted Him to tell them something they could do to go back home and do what He did without Him. That, that is the concept of self-help. And so when I ask this question, have we mistaken Jesus for the greatest self-help coach that ever lived? How many people will be in church this Sunday looking not for what they need to submit themselves to, His Lordship, but for some advice that they can 
take, use, or modify. Can I make a confession? Okay, I love to cook. Y'all know that about me, all right? But I'm, I'm one of these guys that likes to tweak a recipe. You understand what I mean by that? Now, amen. I think I made it for our Thanksgiving dinner here at, at church. Uh, white chocolate bread pudding. I don't, I don't, I don't make it that often because it's just, amen. Somebody's back there clapping. Praise God. So let me tell you what I did. Was, I, I got, I like, I got a bunch of recipes and I read them all and then I, 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 I kind of just brought together what I thought. You know, I, that's. I'm, I'm messing with it. You know what I'm saying? So see, that, that's, that's what, the, like Jesus, tell us what you did yesterday, then we're going to go home, we're going to put our spin on it. Right? We, I mean, just give us the basics, and then we, you know, we, we, we you know, I, I preached a, a sermon one time for, a, I'm not going to say his name, because anyway, I mean, not that I'm embarrassed to say his name, I just, this could be potentially embarrassing to him. I was young, man, I, you know, I just trying, you know, and stuff, and, uh, and so afterwards, he was, very complimentary, the pastor, you know, very complimentary, and he's like, man, I, I, that was really good, I've never really heard, you know, I said, well, thank you, brother, I said, um, he said, I, I, I wish, he was asking me questions, I wish I'd taken better notes, or whatever, and I said, well, here, I just, I gave him my notes, I said, I said, if, you know, I'm so honored that, you know, whatever, he looked at it, he said, great, man, he says, I'm gonna preach this way, it ought to be preached now, wah, 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 Give them back. No, I didn't. I didn't. Amen. I didn't. You know what I'm saying? But that's kind of, you know, his thinking was, I'm going to take this and I'm going to improve on it. And you know what? He'd been preaching a little longer than me. He probably did improve on it. Let's just be honest about it, right? But see, that's, that's this whole mindset of you just tell us what you did and then, and, then, and then we'll go back and we'll add to it and we'll put our spin on it and, 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 and we'll put a little more sugar here and take a little less out and we'll tweak it and... See, that's, that's this whole concept. If you come to Jesus for self-help, you're coming incorrectly and will remain blinded to who He is, to what He has done for you, and what He has for you. Who's ever, who's ever heard this? God helps those who help themselves. Anybody ever heard that verse? It's not a verse. Not in the Bible. How funny is this, okay? George Barna, the pollster, he took a poll one time in the United States asking people what, their, what was the most widely known Bible verse. And God helps those who help themselves topped one of his polls. And it's not a Bible verse. I mean, it's, let me say it this way. You'll find God helps those who help themselves right alongside. It takes a village, and God will not put more on you than you can bear. Because it's, it's not a Bible verse, but people quote that and speak that as if it's a Bible verse. For those of you who are interested, the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is traced back to something written by Algernon Sidney in an article called Discourses Concerning Government in 1698, a long time ago, all right? You see, the world says God and religion helps those who help themselves, but God says, no, I help those who are willing to humble themselves and come to me to learn of me and believe on me. Any other attitude besides learn of him and believe on him makes it very difficult, if not impossible, for God to help you in any meaningful way. 
Jesus did not say, come to me and I'll give you the best self-help program ever. He said, come to me and take my yoke upon you and learn of me. They came because of what Jesus could potentially do for them and how he could potentially help them help themselves. Are you seeing this? They wanted Jesus to help them help themselves. Tell us what you did yesterday so we can do it ourselves. Now, we said this last week. We said if you only look for signs, you'll miss the signs and the one to whom the signs point. But if you look for the one to whom the signs point, you will see the one to whom the signs point and your eyes will be open to the signs. Because these people refused to seek Jesus, they were blinded to him and to the signs that pointed to him. They were not seeking the person of Jesus, they were seeking the principles by which he operated. In other words, they were seeking self-help advice from Jesus. In John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, another verse we've looked at multiple times, he said, Jesus speaking, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. If you treat God's word as a self-help book, you will remain blinded to the help and answers contained within its pages. But if you treat God's word as a loving God's desire to introduce and reveal himself to you, you will find him and the help he has made available to you. You see the difference here? If you just, it's like, well, I've got to find me some answers in here. And you're not looking for him, you won't find him or the answers. But if you look for him, you will find him and your eyes will be open to the help that he has made available to you. So in the same way, the people in John 6 couldn't see the signs because they had no interest in coming to the one the signs pointed to, right? When we don't look for Jesus, but are just simply looking for some way to help ourselves, now, let's go to Matthew eleven twenty-eight, twenty-nine, 29, and 30. I've been wanting to get to this part for some time, and I'm glad we're, we're, we're finally here. We've mentioned this a little bit, but this to me is, don't miss the simplicity of this, um, because I'm telling you, this is a real difference maker, real difference maker in, in our lives and in our attitude, and and. What we're seeing, and I hope you're, you know, I know I've kind of got a lot of stuff spread out here for us, a lot of tabs open in this, in this sermon series, but let, let's go back to it now, okay? Let's go back to our key verse, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, impossible to please. Apart from faith, you're barking up the wrong tree if, if there's no faith in, in, in the bark, okay? So we got to be faith behind whatever we do, or it's not going to please God, no matter how good, no matter how noble. And, and so then he says, and he that comes to God must, impossible and must, must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So God has invited us to come to him, but how we come is important. And we see that in Hebrews eleven six, 6, he's really given us some, some, some beautiful understanding of, of how to come to God in a way that is pleasing to God and that will enable us to, to experience him and, and, and know him and, and, and at the same time, see the help, have our eyes open to the help that he's made available to us. So, familiar passage to a lot of us, um, Matthew eleven twenty eight, twenty nine 28, 29, and 30, Jesus speaking. He says, come to me. So remember, he who cometh to God. So now, is Jesus talking about coming? Yes, he is. 
And so he's saying, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from, the New King James Version says from, the King James Version says of me. Okay? So here, this whole section, and I don't know if we'll get through it tonight, but this whole section, we're talking about learning of and believing on. I'm going to say that a few more times. Learning of Jesus and believing on Him. Not just learning from, not just learning about, not just believing in, but specifically, specifically, how many of you know words are important? Words are important. And the correct, the correct way of understanding this is not just learning about or learning from, but learning of Him. We'll talk about the difference. And believing on Him. Is it important to believe in Him? It is important to believe in Him. But there is a step beyond believing in Him, and that's believing on Him. Is it important to learn from Him? Absolutely. Is there a lot to learn from Jesus? Absolutely. But there is a step beyond learning about Him and learning from Him that is learning of Him. Okay? So, for all the times the New King James Version got it right and made it more readable, I believe they dropped the ball here. Okay? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, of and from, if you're familiar with English class, are uh, simple prepositions. And we tend to use uh, prepositions, you know, seamlessly throughout a given day and The English language has evolved to prefer uh, from over of. In other words, you know, back in the day, it was learn of just as much as it was learned from. But as English language has, you know, developed and evolved, uh, they went with the translation here in the New King James from instead of of. Now, listen to me. There, There are folks, scholars, whatever that would tell you that what I'm saying right now is ridiculous because it's a preposition and it means from, it means of, it's the same word, and you're trying to split a hair here. Well, again, you be the judge of that, but at least hear what the, I believe the, the Spirit is saying to, the Holy Spirit is saying to us and to the church tonight, okay? And so, um, of communicates a deeper connection, a more intimate connection. Learning of as opposed to learning from, a deeper and more intimate level of sharing comes from the word of. So let me give you an example here. Compare these statements. I am in the group. Okay? Compare that to I am with them to I am one of them. It's subtle, but it's there. Okay? I'm in that group. I'm with that group. I am one of that group. There's a deeper level of connection. Now, I believe that it is learned of me because Jesus, after saying learn of me, he gives us two of the most important characteristics 
of his, of his nature. If, he, if it was learned from me, learned from me, then he would have said something like, learn from me because in me are hid all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that's true. There's a Bible verse that says, in him are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He could have, said, he could have easily said, learn from me because I know things that you don't know. And that would have been a true statement. He does know things that we don't know, that we can learn from him. But I believe the correct, again, translation here should have been learn of me because he reveals something very personal and intimate about his nature and his character, about his person. He didn't say learn from me because I know a lot of things that you don't and I can teach you and you will benefit from learning from me. He said learn of me because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Something about me that that you need to experience. You, You need to understand from personal experience in your life, all right? So we could talk about, you know, learning about Jesus, learning from Jesus, learning of Jesus. Now, let's take it out of the context of Jesus and, and let's use some of this same expressions when we would be referring to a historical figure. See, you can learn about a historical figure. I mean, I'm talking about somebody, you know, George Washington. You can learn about him. Okay, and you can learn things from him. In other words, from things that he said. And you can learn from things that he did. But you cannot learn much of someone without actually experiencing life together with them. How how many times have um, I heard people say, in, you know, in some type of, you know, failed relationship in their lives, you know, I thought I knew this person, right? But what are they saying? They're saying, I didn't really know them until I lived under the same roof with them. But see, now you're learning of them. You, you've been learning about them, and you've been, you've been learning from them while they've been on their best behavior trying to impress you. <laughs> but... To really know somebody, you have to spend time with them and experience life together with them. Now, sadly, many of God's children treat Jesus like a historical figure and are content to learn about him and learn from him, but are never willing to commit themselves to learn of him by experiencing life together with him. This is the intimate fellowship that Jesus longs to have with you and me, where we welcome him into every area and moment of our lives. Jesus invites us to take his yoke upon us, an invitation to learn and grow together with Jesus in lockstep. A self-help-minded church, self-help-minded believers, want to substitute taking his yoke for spending time with Him, right? Let's spend some time with Jesus. I know some of you are like, what in the world, Pastor Mark? We should be spending time with the Lord. Well, (laughs) yeah, except for spending time with Him. (laughs) Can I tell you what that means to a lot of people? Hopefully none of you, but I know what that means for a lot of people. Spending time with Him means a few minutes in the morning. Got to spend a little time with the Lord this morning before we take on the day. 
<laughs> you know, I just I gotta I gotta I gotta I gotta I gotta get with the Lord for a few minutes in the morning and get my head straight, you know, before I go tackle everything I've got to do today. What you don't understand is he's offering you a yoke that'll enable you and him to go tackle the day together. To go do whatever you have to do that day with him in lockstep with him learning from him and learning about him but also most importantly learning of him spending time with god is too vague and has become so overused it has lost much of its meaning instead we need to reprogram our thinking into a fellowship mindset not a self-help mindset experiencing life together with the same is true of this this overuse of the word relationship i'm I'm not trying to get in all that right now but see when you look at what is the requirement for a relationship a relationship has to do with some sort of connection and, and, and some sort of behavior, some sort of interaction between people. As you've heard me say before, I have a relationship with Regions Bank. I have a connection with them. There's interaction. A lot of times in those types of relationships, there's a mutual benefit. They provide a service for me. I provide some income for them through interest or what have you, you know. And, and so it's kind of you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That is not fellowship. Fellowship is is partnership. It's literally two people on the same level enjoying camaraderie and and, and, and mutual uh, enjoyment of one another's company. You don't just spend time with someone you're yoked together with. A self-help mindset, though, says, you know, um, I have a better day when I spend a few minutes in prayer in the morning. I'm not trying to be funny here, but just hear me now. Two oxen eating breakfast from the same trough each morning is not the same as them being yoked together throughout the day. Spending a few minutes in the Word and prayer as you start your day is a great plan, but should never be thought equal to being yoked together with Jesus all throughout the day. We need to understand the commitment, the bond, the closeness, and even the permanence of a yoke. Learn from, learn about, and learn of. We need and have opportunity for all three, but context tells me the correct translation here should be learning of Him because he's revealing to us that he is gentle and lowly in heart. Which of these words carries the greatest sense of personal intimacy? Learning about someone, learning from someone, or learning of someone? Jesus wants to reveal the Father to you through intimate and personal experience with his character, nature, and personality. You can learn about God and you can learn from God, but if you want to know who he really is, you must learn of him now as i've already said there are those who completely disagree with what i'm saying the grammar the letter in this case a preposition is universal and some say there's no significant difference between from uh 
about or of, much less the difference between believe in or believe on. But in the same way you can learn about someone and not learn from them. Are you with me? You can learn about someone and not learn from them. You can learn from someone and never learn of them. Learning of is when you learn who that person truly is. Someone has to be willing to let you in. Someone has to be willing to let you see them for who they truly are in order for you to learn of them. That's why a lot of people marry someone that they really didn't know because they didn't take the time necessary to learn of that person and that person concealed some things about themselves from that person until they were under the same roof for a certain period of time and they couldn't conceal it any longer. Which level of faith do you which level of learning rather do you think causes our faith to flourish? About, from, or of? Amen. I think I think it's obvious, right? It's learning of him because it's faith in God. It's faith in his person. About from and of each have their place when it comes to faith, but learning of him will cause faith to flourish in ways knowing about and learning from never will. Faith in God is trust in God's person. Faith is confidence in who God is. You cannot develop a level of full, you cannot develop a level of fully persuaded trust by only learning about someone or from someone. To get to that level of being fully persuaded to the point that you trust that person uh, it, you know, completely, you can't just learn about them and learn from them. If you're going to have the level... If you're going to have that level of fully persuaded that you can trust this person with your very life, in, in, in our Lord's sake, with our eternity, we can trust him, right? If you're ever going to reach that level of fully persuaded trust, you, you'll never get there learning about them or even learning from them. You've got to learn of them. You've got to learn of them. One more time. Faith in God is trust in God's person. Faith in God is confidence in who God is. You cannot develop a level of fully persuaded trust by only learning about someone and from someone. You must learn of them. Now, I'll be brief on this part and then maybe we'll pick it up next week, but I've come too far to stop now, so just stay with me. One last thing. Learning of and believing on. Okay? So we see this again in John 6, 28 and 29. The New King James, New King James Version says, For they said to him, What um, shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, The work, this is the work of God that you believe. So this is the New King James. And if you notice, I tried to emphasize, Believe in him whom he sent. Now, notice the King James Version says, Believe on him whom he hath sent. So the difference between these two... <laughs> may seem less significant to some than the difference between about, from, or of, okay? And I'm, I'm like, Lord, how do I communicate this? And so he gave me, maybe he'll give me more, but I think this might even be enough, all right? But here's, here's how he told me to communicate the difference between believing in and believing of. Are you ready? Okay. What's the difference between believing in a rocket's ability to carry you to the moon and back versus believing on that rocket's ability. Anybody? 
You can believe in that rocket's ability and never get on it. You see the difference there? <laughs> oh, yeah, man, that rocket, I'll take you to the moon and back, dude. I'll be waiting on you. That's the person who believes in the rocket's ability, all right? But the man or the woman that puts on the helmet and goes up the elevator and straps themselves in on top of that thing, they're believing on the rocket. See, I don't get it, Pastor. Well, maybe later this evening. I'm just kidding. Stand with me. Praise God. Believing on Him. Believing on Him. That was kind of anticlimactic. I thought you guys would really appreciate that rocket thing. Y'all looked at me like, what? Thank you, somebody. Praise God. You can believe in it, but believing on it is, is, is you, you strapping in, right? This, we're skin in the game. We, we, we're fixing to light the fuse, dude. I mean, we, we're fully persuaded. You, you better be fully persuaded. You climb up in the capsule. Amen. Did y'all see where we're going back to the moon? Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Better consider the cost. Yes, sir. Uh, I want to know something of the people who built it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Where I get on there. So praise God. Amen. You get anything out of this? Let's learn of him. Amen. Let's learn of him. Ask him to show you some things. A ask him to reveal. And when I mean show you some things, I mean some things about himself. Amen. You know the Lord's got the great. First of all, why do we think that a God who created us with the ability to laugh doesn't have a sense of humor. Chosen, anybody? The Chosen, you like that? Chosen. I know it's got some, what do they say? They've taken some uh, literary liberties or whatever. What is it? Creative license. Oh, that sounds even better, doesn't it? So if that bothers you, don't let it. I mean, God gave us an imagination. and To me, what that's doing is it's 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 making things personal. You know, I don't, I don't know if Thomas was the dude that was the caterer at the wedding feast or not. You know, but and I don't know if Simon Peter was in debt to the Romans. But what, I'm gonna tell you what it does in all of that is it gives you a, a visualization of a personal Jesus. One of the things. I don't want to spoil it in any of you, so, but we watch, on first Monday of each month, we watch an episode with our young people. And um, so Jesus and, the, and his growing band of disciples are on the way to the Cana for the wedding feast. And, and um, Peter, you know, again, this is not biblical, it's, it's the dialogue, right? But Peter says something about, you know, uh, I'm sure you're going to really impress everybody or whatever. And, and Jesus looks at him and he says, Oh, no, no. He says, this is the bride and groom's special day. See, that's gentle and lowly. That's gentle and lowly. He's not, he's not there to, to put the spotlight on himself. Now, again, I don't, know if, I don't know if that ever conversation ever took place or not, but I guarantee you that's, that's the attitude of our Savior. You know, he's all oh, not this isn't about me today. This is about the bride and the groom. This is their special day. Man, see, again, we need to understand that about the Lord. Hey, ask him to tell you a joke. 
Ask him to tell you something funny. You say, oh, Pastor Mark, yeah, how dare you? So that's learning of him. Let me tell you when you start really learning of another person is when you know what, what makes them laugh, right? When you kind of start seeing a little, what I call a little silly side of somebody, you know. You know they're kind of letting their guard down around you. Amen. Amen. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for this time together this evening. Oh, Father, you love to reveal yourself to your people. All, you, all you're asking, Father, is for just somebody to look for you. Come, believing that you are, and believing that you're a reward of those who diligently seek your person. And oh, Father, how the Holy Spirit and your Holy Word, Jesus, begin to reveal you to us in ways that we've never understood before. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Know that you're loved. Thank you for being here this evening. You have a great rest of your week. I'm looking forward to seeing everyone on Sunday. Much love and good things coming.